The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In the message today, we conclude the thoughts we began yesterday about the great hope we have in Christ. You may recall from the introduction to the sermon yesterday that one of our dear church members had recently passed away unexpectedly and that the Lord led us to these thoughts, I believe, to comfort us by reminding us of Christ's great victory on the cross and the coming resurrection of our bodies. One of the most important aspects of this great hope is that our experience in this present life, praise God, is not all that there is to life for the child of God. As a matter of fact, we do have a glorious resurrection and an eternity waiting for us where we will be forever with the one who loves us the most, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Join us today as we conclude these uplifting thoughts. First, we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy.
we can't see what happens at the moment that one of our loved ones passes. But I can tell you this, I've been there many times by their side of many people, many loved ones who have breathed their last. And not so much in years past, but as I've studied the Word of God and found the comfort, the sweet comfort that we have there, I've always considered that when that moment comes, I'm in a, I'm in a very holy place. I don't know exactly what happens. You turn sometime and read about Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man. You know, their situations were terrible. I mean, think about where Lazarus was in this life. The dogs were licking his sores. His only comfort in life was some old mongrel dog coming up to him and licking the sores on his body while this rich man fared sumptuously. He was living it up. He was living the best life had to offer. And of course, at the end of life, their roles were reversed. You had Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham in heaven itself. And you had this rich man in hell where he lifted up his eyes. But here's, here's what we read there. You turn and read it sometime over in the book of Luke. We say that it says that Lazarus died and the angels, plural, plural. So I don't know if that's a band of angels or just two, but it's more than one. The angels came and bore his soul to the bosom of Abraham. You know, I hate death with a passion. I hate it. Whenever I go to the side of a loved one that I, you, can, you can see that unless the Lord intervenes, death is coming. I hate that. But when that moment comes, there's a sense in which we're in the, we're in the presence of angels. You know, when, when Stephen was about to about to die as they were stoning him, he looked up and saw Jesus himself standing. We read about him being seated at the right hand of the Father, but he was standing, standing there, ready to welcome him home. We're in a time of great joy for that person, even as sad as it is for us. See, because we don't look at the things which are seen. If you look at the things which are seen, if you look at the, you look at the, the body laid out, for visitation at the funeral home or at the church. You know, there's nothing good about that. You know, sometimes sometimes the funeral home embalmers are able to make that person look like themselves. Sometimes they're not. I've had loved ones that look natural. I've had loved ones that didn't look so good. I tell my kids, I've told them this before, don't, don't be worried about that because I'm not there. When you see me there, I'm not there. You see that old body? That's just a shell. My goodness. How could you expect it to look good? <laughs> because it's nothing but a shell. The real me. See, he says, we don't look at things which are seen. Well, how do you do that? How, how do you look at things which are not seen? On Sunday nights, we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews. And we've made it to the 11th chapter in that great hall of faith. We talks about it. talks about Abel and it talks about um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those four. And you know how they please God? They please God through faith because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And He, he, and he defines faith there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm a lawyer, so I think when I hear evidence, I think in the courtroom. And what I'm thinking there when I read that is is that my faith 
is, is substantive evidence that I could introduce into a courtroom and prove my case by. You see, that's what he's talking about there. The courtroom under consideration, I believe, is the courtroom of our hearts and minds. And he's saying that when we exercise faith, when we by faith understand that the world's refrained by the Word of God, when we by faith understand that Abel uh, had a good report of God because he did what he did by faith, when we read about Enoch who was translated that he should not see death, we understand that through faith he was able to serve God and to please God, then we understand that there is substance to our hope. There is substance to our hope. Back over in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he starts off that chapter saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news. You know what I'm preaching to you this morning? I'm preaching good news to you. In fact, it's the best news, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. That's not talking about eternal salvation. He's already preaching to people that have been born again. He's not saying believe it to get born again. He's saying believe it because you've been born again. Again, he said, and it will save you now, here and now. You know, Lot was a man who was not saved by faith, was he? He ended up in a cave committing unspeakable sins with his daughters, drunk, in fear. That's the last time we see old Lot. And Peter tells us he's in heaven. He tells us he was a just man. Not just in his actions, not just in his thinking, just in his heart. Because he'd been born of the Spirit. He'd been, the blood of Christ had been applied to his life. You see, we need to hang on to this faith in the gospel message because it will save us here and now. There are those that, that struggle. There are God's children that struggle. They're not saved. I've seen people at the bedside of those who have passed from this life who, are, who, who we believe are children of God, and yet they're in despair. And I know it's sorrow. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept when he came face to face with his great enemy, death. Jesus was in agony in the garden. If you're in agony because of the loss of a loved one or because of the impending loss of a loved one or something you're facing, maybe your own mortality, if you're in agony because of that, you're in good company because the Lord Jesus Christ was in agony. But it was more than just the physical death that he was, he was in agony about. It was that ultimate death where he was uh, going to die for his people. He was going to become sin for his people. And he was going to be separated in some fashion from God because of it. So you and I don't have to deal with that. There's no, no, not one of God's children will die without him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that glorious? He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved. How are you saved? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Let me, I don't want to get too far down that trail, but let me just say this. In the hardest times of life, we need to keep in memory the gospel. In the hardest times of life, in every time of life, but especially in the hardest times, we need to keep in memory what has been preached to us through the Word of God. We need to cling to that, you see. That's how it saves us. It doesn't save us to get us to eternal glory. Christ had to do that for us. But as His children who are heading to heaven, we need to remember that while we're here. He said, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, and after that He was seen of about 500 brethren at once, 
of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Now all he's telling them there is there's some, he's saying there's some earthly proofs of his resurrection. There are some witnesses here and now. They were still living in that day. All these, and, and, and let me just say to you, there are some, there are some earthly proofs in the sense of we can read about those martyrs who died for the cause, for the gospel. They laid down their lives for the gospel. You know, I, I, I like, as we've talked about football already, I'm an Alabama football fan, okay? I pull for Alabama, Brother Roger. I'm sorry, but I do. But I'm not going to die for Alabama football. If somebody came to me with a gun and put it to my head and said, buddy, you got to say War Eagle 50 times, I'd, I'd say it 55 times. I'd be, I'd be shouting War Eagle. I, I, might even, I might even say Hale State, Brother Ralph. I'm not sure. That'd be a harder lift, but I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I'm not going to die for football. I'm not going to lay down my life for something that foolish, okay? But these men died. These men and women died for what they believed about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a proof to me. That's evidence to me that there's more to it than just some ho-hum earthly philosophy you see but then he comes on and he says this he, he begins to argue to them the proof of why we ought to believe in the resurrection and he goes on these these see these corinthians had kind of they had kind of slipped back they had they had given up their hope they had they said well there's no resurrection they'd been taught probably by some of those sadducees you know the sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and they were sad you see <laughs> anyway you'll get that in a minute uh, the Sadducees were probably spreading their teachings and the other pagan philosophies out there were spreading their teachings and they were, and they were saying there's just no resurrection but, but as, as, as verse 12 he begins to tell them if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead but if there be no resurrection of the dead then is, he, look at his logic then is Christ not risen okay we get that and if Christ not, be not risen then is our preaching vain or empty? We're foolish. I'm foolish up here trying to preach to you because Christ didn't risen. And your faith is also vain. There's no hope. There's no faith without the resurrection. He says, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, which would be very embarrassing. I don't want to be a false witness of anything because we testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. He said, so if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? And listen to this. It's worse than what I've already stated so far. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. If there is no resurrection, we're still sinners bound for hell. Because there is no hope without Christ's resurrection. And he says, then also they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That means utterly obliterated. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But look at what he says. That little word but means so much in so many places. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 
You see, this is essentially the same thing that he's saying over in 2 Corinthians that we've been taking our text from this morning. He's saying that this light affliction, I can look on this world and all its troubles as light afflictions only while I don't look at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. What are the things that are not seen? They're the heavenly things. Where is Christ today? He's not walking among us physically. He's not going to walk in here physically and sit down and teach us, but He's with us spiritually. He said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. We trust and understand that the Comforter has been sent. We feel His presence from time to time. Here in this church, that's why He gave us the church. That we might gather together and that there might be a sense of camaraderie and a sense of fellowship around these truths that we understand are not seen, but we cling to them nonetheless. Because he says the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then he moves into, as we bring this to a close, he moves into chapter 5. Remember there were no chapter divisions in that day. He just went right on. Notice what he says. For we know. For we know. How you know, Paul? You've been there and come back? I know we read about people that see a bright light sometimes and come back and tell us things they've seen. You know, I don't know what people experience that have a near-death experience. I'm not going to criticize them, but I tell you this. Whatever they say, measure it by the Word of God. If their experience measures up with the Word of God, maybe it happened. If it doesn't, you can dismiss it. I don't care how emotional it is. It's not true if it doesn't comply with the Word of God. He says, for we know. How do we know? By faith. That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, this is what he's talking. This is what he's talking about death. He's talking about the body. This earthly house, this tabernacle. He calls it a tabernacle. You know what a tabernacle is? It's a movable home. It's a temporary home. It's, you know, Abraham never dwelt in anything but tents. It's the same word that Greek that's used for tent. Abraham didn't build a big palace. He just lived in tents. You know why? Because he knew he was just passing through. That's where we are, child of God. There's nothing wrong with building a permanent dwelling. I'm not saying that. But just hold on to it very loosely. It's important to work and to make a living and to provide for your family and to support the ministry and support the church. I get that. But hold on to those things loosely. If you're a millionaire, you won't be the two seconds after you die. I don't care how much money you have, the, the second you die, it's gone. I know some men of God, some great men that I consider great in the kingdom of God, preachers, pastors, one or two that don't have a penny to their name, living in a borrowed house, struggling just to continue and try to serve the Lord. I believe they're looking at the things that are not seen. Because see, we know that the earthly house, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now look at Paul, as we bring this to a close, look at his experience. And is this not our experience? For in this, that is in this body, in this tabernacle, in this life, under the sun, for in this we groan. I, 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 I groaned many times over the last couple of days as we saw Brother Warren 
about to pass from this life. I know you've groaned as you see your loved ones. Maybe you've groaned about something you're doing. I've groaned as I experience the pains and troubles of getting older. I, I groan from time to time. He says, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Here's what he's saying about that. Don't get confused. He's just saying, we're not talking about a, a physical house. He's talking about our body. He's talking about our bodies. Are, are you tired of your body? Is your body betraying you as you get older? Mine is. I'm not getting better and better and better. I'm not, if things in life aren't getting easier and easier. Are you, are you, are you tired? Of, are you groaning? He said, there's something better coming. He said, I groan here, but I'm desiring to be clothed with a new body, a new house that's from heaven. He said, verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. There's burdens of life that we struggle with, not for that which we would be, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. In other words, he's not just wishing for death, for some kind of release like the pagans did. Just finally, oh, I just death is the obliteration of the soul and the body and all the burdens of life. Oh, no, he's saying, I don't want to be just unclothed. He said, I'm looking forward to being clothed. And, and, and also, I believe this is a reference to something even greater. You know, when we die here in this life, our bodies don't immediately go to be with God. But we're going to see here something does. He says, now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing, uh, I'm sorry, back to verse 4, we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of his spirit. He's saying here that our hope lies not in the things of this life, not in the things that we do, but in God himself, who has given us his spirit to dwell within us through that new creature that he's given to us. And he says, therefore, because of this, we are always confident. He is always thinking of this, Paul says. I'm always confident in these things. I'm not always confident. I sometimes forget about these things, but if we'll remember them, we can always be confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather. This is something we want more than anything, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what he's saying here. He's saying... These light afflictions that I'm experiencing here in my body, they're going to be over one day. And the minute, the second I die, my spirit is going to be with the Lord. My spirit is going to be home with Him. He says, right now, we, that is the essence of who we are, our soul, our spirit, is at home in the body. That's where we're dwelling right now. But we want to rather than that to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I don't believe in soul sleep. I don't believe when we bury somebody out here, their soul sleeps in their body until the resurrection. According to Paul, they go, their spirit, their soul goes immediately into the presence of God. But you remember what he said, and I want to close with this. You remember what he said back in verse 4? He said, he said, I don't just want to be unclothed from this body. He said, we that are in this tabernacle grown being burdened, not that we just not for that we would be unclothed. In other words, we don't want to just die and get out of this body, but we want to be clothed upon. What's he talking about there? Back over in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, as we bring this to a close, he tells us about that being clothed upon. 
You know, right now, our loved ones that have died in spirit, they're with God. But did you know one day they're going to be in, we're all going to be in the presence of God in our bodies? Not these old corrupt bodies, but in a real physical body. Notice what he says here in chapter 15, verse 50, 1 Corinthians. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We couldn't go to be in his presence right now if we wanted to. In these bodies, and I know we want to, but we, don't, we wouldn't want to. In this body, it would be obliterated in the presence of a thrice holy God. But notice he says, behold, I show you a mystery. He said, corruption can't inherit incorruption, but I'm showing you something that's a mystery that we'll one day understand completely. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. All those that have died, those bodies out there in the graves that have, some of them have, have uh, decayed to dust. Some of them in 9-11 and have been, were obliterated. They never recovered bodies. They just recovered you know, fragments and cells of bodies. Those that have been buried in the depths of the sea, maybe they, some, you know, that always, always bothered me, Brother Clinton, that they'd bury somebody at sea. They'd push that old body off. Where's it go? You know, I don't care if it's at the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. God knows where it is. He knows where every cell of everybody is. And those old bodies, it's not going to be the same body. It's going to be the same substance. But he says, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Those who are still alive. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death reigns today. If the Lord tarries, every single one of us are going to lose the battle to death. I read about some guy that's in his 40s. He's been, he's been eating all kinds of junk. I mean, it's not junk. It's stuff he thinks is going to help him live longer. I, I was thinking as I read it there, <laughs> Brother Mackey, I'd rather just die than have to eat that mess. But anyway, that's, he, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was eating and exercising and all this. He, he found the secret to Maybe not immortality, but extending his life. And I got news for him. <laughs> I don't care. He may live. To, you know, we had we read about people that lived to be nine hundred and sixty-nine. A man that lived to be nine hundred and sixty-nine years old. But guess what? He still died. Death is reigning here. It looks like it to us. But there's coming a time when death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Death stings. Death. Hurts. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, but death has been put to death. Death has been overturned by Christ. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he closes out like this. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, because based on everything I've told you, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It kind of sounds like the first verse, doesn't it? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news. See, that's the good news. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Remember, we're not working to get to heaven. We're working because we're going there. He's gotten us there. He's going to get us there in person one day. 
And no matter what we experience in this life, we can call it light affliction. I don't care how long we suffer. I don't care how hard we suffer. I don't care how difficult our death and dying is. It is light affliction when compared to that release, to that best day of our lives when He calls us home to be with Him. I was sitting there, I'll leave you with this, I was sitting there yesterday at one point by Brother Warren's bedside just looking at him. He was unconscious, wasn't talking. I was thinking to myself, Lord, today would be a good day for you to come back. <laughs> today would be a good day for you to come back. If you're here this morning and you, you want to you say, Lord, just wait a little longer. You know, as a song it used to say, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. It was based on bad theology. But don't sing that song, child of God. Sing the song of the revelator. Even so, Lord, come quickly. One day he's coming and these light afflictions that seem so heavy will be over and we will be with him forever. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.